There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey with Workflow Solutions. It's been a bit of a week for banking, Thomas. It certainly has, Willie. I, I was travelling back um, into Scotland and had a busy weekend on the phone. I'll bet. Because one of our invested companies was involved with Silicon Valley Bank. And, yeah. and we've used them um, when I used to invest in America. And they were a very good bank for early stage tech. They really understood the entrepreneur's mindset. They wrapped services around about that early stage. But, oh my goodness... So, give me your take on it, and I'll give you mine. Well, I think um, people were, were really concerned at first, but once I thought that the media done really well to convince people that this is a, a one-sector bank, you know, it's mostly for tech, uh, and I think everybody felt, you know, it looked as if there was talk at the time of a rush in the buyings, all of that kind of stuff. I was getting texts from people saying, oh my, and I was putting people's mind at ease. With what I thought by saying, look, don't worry about it. This is not 2008. This is not a crash. This is one bank. People are, you know, behind the scenes. The bank's actually got more money in it in the moment that it owes out. So it's just, it's really, I think, to be fair, it shone a big spotlight on the chief exec. I mean, he was a man who had 25 years of banking experience and made crazy, crazy decisions. It does look like it. Well, he's so... SVB, probably not too many of our listeners would ever have heard of it. Hopefully not. <laughs> but it was the 16th largest bank in America. Wow. Bigger than Lloyd's, Willie. Just to put it in perspective. And as I say, we were customers of theirs back in the day when we used to invest in tech in America. Very good. Understood the sector. Understood early stage. But, and here's the thing that... Um, I wonder if many of our listeners know that banks take money from you and I and it's called deposits and then they lend it out. But if everybody asks for their money back today, there's no bank in the world can actually pay it all out. And last Thursday, so the Thursday before last, um, there was $42 billion was requested to come out of Silicon Valley Bank. That is called a run on the bank. Yes. So, my God, Willie. So, but I, I'm like you, I have watched this, because, you know, I get caught out in the last financial crisis and I'm paranoid about these things. Therefore, I'm sitting looking, is, it, is there anything that's going to happen the same as 2008? And so far, I don't think so. There's some problems running about Credit Suisse just now. But again, you know, it's just, it's it's one of these things. The banking system needs confidence. And America moved, Joe Biden moved, and he said, okay, any deposits, because deposits in a bank, are they're guaranteed in America to quarter of a million dollars they're guaranteed in Britain to £85,000. So that's a government guarantee. 
Um, so he stepped in and said, 100% deposits are secure. But in the UK, I think we did a better job. And I would like to thank Rishi Sunak, Jeremy Hunt, and maybe even the Bank of England. I know it's not your favourite, but they stepped up and they found a solution without any taxpayer money. And the bank, the UK arm, was sold to HSBC for a pound. I might have given two pounds for it, Willie. How about you? <laughs> It'd be interesting to find out, Tom, that how much notice that the UK government had about the uncertainty of SVP, because there is no doubt that um, it, I, I am sure in the long run this will wor work out to be a good move on the part of HSBC. It looks like a bargain. But the point that you make is, is right about the guarantee. There were some companies in the UK, successful tech companies, that had hundreds of millions in deposit. And there would have been a, an occasion, maybe Monday night, where they couldn't pay salaries. As you say, the only yeah. part that was guaranteed was 85 grand. So again, I congratulate the UK government, especially the Treasury, right? Well, I can just repeat that, please, yes, just, I congratulate. just the listeners. And, and, and to be fair, the deal was that good. I doubt very much if the Bank of England had anything to do with it. <laughs> right? It doesn't look like it on the face of it. But, but while we're, we're talking about banking then, do you think then that in the other news this week about banking, the latest Scottish bank... Um, which we hear, you know, some people that we know very well are involved in it. Jim McCall's name is out there. I don't know how many of the other names are public, so maybe we can't see what they are. But I wonder uh, if uh, anyone there were having second thoughts after after hearing what has been said about the SVP this week. Well, Willie, I don't know if you got a call, but my phone didn't ring to uh, invest in this, and I'm quite happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think everybody want to invest in a bank, but uh, good luck to them in the new venture. So... Just to finish on this, I think HSBC, you know, one of the biggest banks in the world, one of the most creditworthy banks in the world. So that's the good news. I just hope it can get behind the ethos because they made a few missteps at Silicon Valley Bank, but the important service, they got in early stage, they wrapped support run about these companies, and that was good. There was mismanagement for sure. I just hope HSBC can do a better job of supporting early stage. Here's hoping. I do hear, Tom, just to finish this, there's another couple of banks in the UK at the moment, smaller, that also may be in trouble. I think banking's a difficult area, Willie, and you need scale. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Credit Suisse. Credit Suisse, I hear, you know, the shares were down 30% last week, you know. Um, I don't know, but you've heard it here first. This is not 2008. Thank goodness. What about the latest revelations on your pet subject at the moment about the bottle return scheme? <laughs> tell you, me, Willie, tell well, me more. The, the news was broke this week that um, the company... Um, looks like an arm's length company. Nobody, it's it's full of secrecy. This circularity, Scotland, right? I think it's hilarity, Scotland. It's turning out to be right, but <laughs> it seems this week that this was a company helped set up by the government, and nobody's to know anything about it. <clears throat> There's been some stuff this week saying that they're due to make fifty-seven million pound profit, and then we hear it's a not-for-profit business. So I think what we're into it's obviously looks like a shambles. 
right? And people are still sticking to their guns and people are trying to say, was it uh, whom the Yusuf said this week that uh, when he was having a go at Gate Fobs, oh, you're just trying to protect big business here. Uh, I'm saying, <laughs> no, we're not actually. We're, the big business are telling you, small businesses are actually telling you it doesn't work. So I don't know where you're getting that from. So what do you think of that revelation, 57 million profit for bringing your ginger bottles back? So <laughs> I didn't know there was so much money in it, Willie, or, or I might have had a look. So I watched the BBC debate um, last week and um, there was a small business in the audience who asked that exact question. Um, it was a lady and she was very articulate and she said, you know, I believe in the green agenda, but this is going to really push my business to the brink. What are you going to do about it? Three candidates and I thought it was interesting that two of the candidates Kate Ash said they would pause it to take more time to get it right Hamza was saying well the big companies have signed up so I don't want to pause it um, and you know but <laughs> it was a brilliant piece of politics in that any question the three candidates were asked oh yes the ferries, oh yes, unacceptable. Oh, education, oh, we'll do better. Poverty eradication, oh, we'll do better. They've been in government for 15 years, Willie. Yeah. So what's going to change? Mm -hmm. And there was nothing articulated. But, oh yes, they were very clear. This wasn't acceptable and it would get better. Just didn't tell us how. The point you made is is, is valid. They sound like people who are in opposition. Right? <laughs> Forget they've been in charity things. So if we're going to make all these things better, have they all been asleep at the wheel for the last 13 years? You've got to ask yourself that. So when they're accusing Kate Forbes last week of being anti-party, everybody this week, if you read between what they're saying is, are all anti-party because they're forgetting that they've actually been in charge of delivering the service that they said that they're going to make better. But it's interesting. I'm always interested... Tom, when people want to, you know, when 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 we're both asked about their number one thing, um, you know, uh, Humza said that it was about poverty, and they always want to pick the thing that's hardest to measure, yes. right? Let's not put my head on the block, right? <laughs> so for me, and and obviously you mentioned there, Tom, more revelations about the shipyards, Ferguson's. Well, it's you know, I mean, <laughs> somebody said the candidates were asked. In the next five years, will independence be delivered for Scotland? They all said yes. And somebody at the back piped up, you couldn't deliver two ferries in five years, <laughs> which brought a smile to my face, Willie. I, I think that, but really, uh, in all seriousness, that there has to be a serious investigation into what happened at Ferguson. Right, there's, there's, you can't just say, Tom, that you can't account for £150 million of government money. If me and you tried to say that in our accounts to our auditors, you know, we'd, we'd have a tax man in on Monday and the police in on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, it, somebody got me this week and they said, are you back on to the Go Radio Politics show? And I said, it's not a politics show. Um, but if I can just finish in a bit of politics. <laughs> <laughs> ben McPherson, who's an SNP government minister, I thought he wrote a very thoughtful piece in The Scotsman last week. And just to quote him, there was one paragraph that kind of stuck out to me. And he said, any reckless, overly disruptive path to statehood would quickly make our quality of life in Scotland poorer. So he's saying, I'm in government, 
I'm looking at it and we're, we're not ready to cut the ties. Look at the disruption Brexit did. Can you imagine the disruption that independence would bring? And I think he was being honest. There may be a path to independence. It's about competence. It's about getting the economy right and from a position of strength go into independence. And I thought Ben McPherson's piece was thoughtful, Willie. Yeah. Well, I've never seen it, but I'll take your word for it uh, since, he's, uh, since he's a Tory. Now, let me I'll... bring you back and let's see if you can praise the Tory government in Westminster once again, Willie. That was a first for the Go Radio Business show there. But what did you think of Jeremy Hunt? Is he still Chancellor? Yes, he is. OK. Um, budget last week, Willie. Well, I think with the budget now, we got the leaks all week about what was going to be in the budget and then what they do is they add a wee couple of percent so it looks even better. Yeah. No, they've done it with the pensions. So now the budgets used to be great. You'd all be glued to the TV to find out what they were going to say and now you know days before it, right? And you can take it. It's always going to be a plus or a minus to what you've already um, you know, seen. So the PR machine that works now pre-budget uh, just take it as red that that's what's going to happen. That's why I wasn't rushing to watch the budget because it's a good idea. But if we want to talk about some of the things within the budget, it's great. It's great we're doing for childcare. You know, that 30 hours. Well, that was great. Now, Willie, you can maybe help me. Is that going to happen in Scotland or does Scotland get the Barnett consequentials and decide how to spend that? I, I'm... I'm well, all I can say is I know that the SNP, you know, put great faith in the, what they've managed to do to help, you know, um, parents, single parents, you know, kids, you know, the, the, the box that they've got for kids, the £20. So it looks as if it's devolved, Tom, okay. because that doesn't happen in the UK. So it'll be interesting to see if this, if this actually means, it should mean more money or if they just see it as part of the, as you say, the, the, the Barnett formula. So I, I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure. No, but, I'm not sure. But... I think the main thing that we were hoping for, and it looks as if it might be there, is in relation to enterprise zones, right? And it's just I'm just a wee bit disappointed that they could tell you where the, there's going to be 12, and 12. they could tell you where the eight zones were going to be exactly in England, but it hadn't been worked out yet whether it'd be in Scotland and Northern Ireland and, and Wales, in the, in the devolved territories. I see. And I think that, I'm, I'm, I'm not being greedy here, but I think that Scotland should get two, but going in size again. Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland should get one and, and Wales should get one. I'm sure the people in Wales should say we've got two, we've got more deprived areas, so they'll put up a good case. But it'll be interesting to see the small print. I think they've put up £80 million, right? So um, I think that that may go a, a long way of helping, but I, I definitely think they've missed a trick, they missed a trick and like, there should have been more emphasis, me and you would know, on enterprise investment schemes, right? More. There should be more leeway in that for us, for, for entrepreneurs to invest back in. And I also think as well that, well, it's right, most of the tax comes from income tax. So to give incentives like, you know, like capital gains tax for when you sell a business, I think that you should revisit it. One of the best policies that Gordon Brown ever introduced is when he put, um, you know, uh, Capital gains tax down to ten percent for selling a business. Yep. It didn't last very long. Entrepreneurs right? relief. Entrepreneurs relief, yeah. right? And I think that that is something definitely that they, that they said. But but the interesting thing is, and they've put their neck on the line, is they're saying there's going to be a dramatic decrease in inflation. They did. I mean, even down below three percent. What do you think of that? Well, I think that'll be a 
that'll be a real stretch to get to that 3%. And they're saying that we will not have a recession in 2023, which is, again, good news for where we were sitting six months ago. So I think um, Jeremy Hunt's a safe pair of hands, Willie. It was quite a boring budget, but you don't really want too much excitement, do you? Mm-hmm. I think Liz Truss and Quasi tried that and they excited us far too much. Um, so the couple of things that stuck out to me was the um, Office of Budget Responsibility, this independent body who tells government they're seemingly not influenced by government, believe that if you will. Um, they said, we're not going to get into recession, um, technical recession, and inflation would be down to 2.9, as you say, by the end of 23. Interesting. Um, corporation tax for businesses going up to 25, the full 25. Um, but um, for the next three years, once that stops, you can fully capital expense 100% against taxable profits. So if you buy a new IT system, you invest in plant machinery, then that is fully expensed to 100% against your taxable profits. I like that. And um, also, which is going to be a bone of contention with the Scottish government, um, Jeremy Hunt said, we need to be energy secure. And he didn't want to be um, relying on Putin or any other type of Putin character. And he said nuclear, we have talked about it here on Go Radio before, nuclear is part of the mix and he was going to designate nuclear for the same sort of benefits as the renewable sector. Now, the Scottish current Scottish government has a ban on all nuclear. They think it's terrible. We, and I think you agree with me here, that nuclear is part of the mix. It's not the it's maybe not the biggest part, but it is part of getting us energy secure. And the other thing, which I think was a good thing, Willie, um, Jeremy Hunt also extended the energy price cap for another three months. So that's got to be good news. Well, I think the price cap, uh, you know, extension is great and that will certainly help people. But I, I think at the point you make about the, the Scottish government, where do they sit in this? Uh, I hope that we will take the best of this budget and make, I hope they're in demanding tomorrow that we're going to make a decision. And, and what I hope isn't happening, I'm sure that the Scottish government are having a major say as to where, and if we're going to get two, uh, a lot of people in the West were disappointed with what happened with the three ports. I just hope that everything is not East-centric because that's where the power of the government lies. So, you know, if we find out that, that, that the West of Scotland is the industrial powerhouse, right, that has drove the nation for over 100 years, I think that we must look, at, there's got to be these zones you know, some, at least one of these zones has to be in the west of Scotland. After the disappointment of everything else, we're f- l- missing out on the levelling up money and then missing out. You know, it's time for, I don't want to call it City Deal 2, but we, we certainly need a, a wee hand up, I think, in the west of Scotland. Agreed. So if you'll allow me, can I, can I plug what I was doing last week, Willie? Go on. So, along with Scottish Edge, which you're a supporter of, um, the Hunter Foundation's launched a prescaler. Now, what is that? That is for early stage businesses coming out of Edge or anywhere else in Scotland because this is the hardest time, Willie. 
at the early stage, it's the loneliest time for the entrepreneur and it's the hardest time. So early stage, pre-scaler, you can apply through the Hunter Foundation website. What we're going to do to help you? Well, we're going to wrap around the services. So we're going to help you network. We're going to help you find other people, peer-to-peer -peer support and learning, really the secret sauce of all this. This is the loneliest time. So if you're sitting there going, oh, I don't know how to deal with this, you'll meet someone and go, all oh, right, I know how to solve it. Absolutely invaluable. And then we're going to get you together down at Blair Estate. Um, you're going to listen to speakers, people who've been there, did it and done it. We're going to get you down to speak, Willie, to this group. And it's free of charge. And we're going to listen and learn. We're going to learn by doing. And at the end of it, say, right, was that worth it? Do you want more of this, less of that? But I think it's an addition to the Scale Up Scotland and the Scale Up 2.0. So please apply. Please come and see us. Let us help you. Another great bit of news for startups in Scotland. Thank you, Willie. Great work, Tom. Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to Anna Stewart, non-executive director of Bella and Duke and board member of the Scottish FA. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, part of the Scottish procurement framework for managed print solutions, available to all public sector bodies and charities. Go Radio. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security, and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Anna Stewart, tech entrepreneur, non-executive director of Bella and Duke and board member of the Scottish FA, where Anna is the first female board member in its 150-year history. Absolutely delighted this week, Tom, to have a very special guest. Yes. Anna Stewart. Right, the lady responsible for the Pathways Report. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, Anna, it's great to see you because I've only seen you over Zoom. So yes. it's great to meet you um, face to face. And I'm delighted you could make the Go Radio Business Show today. And I can't wait to hear what you've been up to. OK, well, I, I, I like to call myself an entrepreneur. I started my business when I graduated from uni. So my story and all my entrepreneurial education and learning started at school in my childhood. Right. Not all at school, at home. And, and I was uh, in a family of uh, three kids, a youngest child, and I was a sports fanatic right. from a very young age, like seven or eight years old, loved running around the playground, nutmegging the boys in P7 and I was in P4. I'm impressed, um, nutmegging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a and, skill. Uh, and, you know, I wanted to do sports. That was me. So I played sport and then at football at school, I... Uh, kind of followed the boys onto, you know, to get onto the school bus to go to the game and then got told, well, sorry, you can't join the team. And, right. I, and I went, oh, at seven years old, why not? Because okay. well, you're a girl and girls don't play football, so we don't do football with girls. So that door was closed, so I had to 
think, well, what else can I do? Because at that age, you know, it's, it's a very young age, but it does set the tone of, well, I just can't do that. And you accept it. But I mean, I suppose what I did was a lot of other sports that I could, could get access uh-huh. to. But I wasn't a high performing, you know, in terms of academic subjects. I just loved sport and I got on and did lots of other things and tennis and hockey, etc. Uh, but I also had a slightly unusual family because my mother was Spanish. Okay. Um, being brought up in or near Dundee, North Fife, um, I didn't really spend my time in Scotland in the summers. I would get whisked off in the middle seat of the rusty old Ford Escort estate that whisked us off through in luxury accommodation to the back seat here down to uh, London and, you know, Dover over to Calais, drove through France, slept in the car for two nights, went through the Pyrenees, drove across the north coast of Spain through... uh, very, very dubious roads and got to our end point, which was where my mum's family uh, lived and they had a house in the north of Spain and we'd stay there all summer and right. my mum my would chuck me out the, onto the beach and tell me to mingle with these other Spanish kids. Sounds great. Um, well, I suppose the reason I'm giving you that information is because it it kind of opened my eyes to what else was out there. I mean, I didn't stay in Dundee. I was I was aware of all the other stuff that would go on and we would be you know, interacting with my Spanish grandmother, didn't speak a word of English. and But one thing she did do was she was a season ticket holder at Atletico. Wow. And, uh, and we would play football. <laughs> We'd play football in the back garden of our house. So, uh, so, but all these things, I'm trying to give you a sense of the upbringing was a bit different. I was not, I was a bit of an odd one out. I, I didn't sort of... To be a bit worldly um, wise at a very young age. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, you know... And internationalists come at eight years old. <laughs> It's a good job getting out of Dundee. I've known a lot of people up at Dundee, and no. it's quite a good thing to get out. Oh, of. don't 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 be cruel. Don't be cruel. Chris, don't 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 write into the show, please. <laughs> and so, actually, so my story. Fast forward to end of school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was actually quite creative, an artist, I would say, rather than my dad was a music teacher. You know, uh, not deep pockets in the house, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So, creative things. I thought, let's go to art college. That's what I'll do just now. I'll, I'll try that. So um, I did that. But of course, quite a, a couple of big things happened in my time at university. The first one was at the end of first year, um, my dad dropped me off in the flat. I managed to make some friends and I was going to stay in a flat in Dundee. He dropped me off that night. And the next morning I went in to, um, to my first day on second year and the, the professor took me in and said, the can, I need you to come in here. He took me out into the hall and he said, your father's died, you need to go home. Oh dear. So now that meant I had to go back that day. I just got into the flat and, you know, ended up changing everything about the way I looked at things. And one of the big things that came out of that for me was I just need to get on with stuff here. I was a bit lost about what I might want to do. And that kind of triggered this whole, I just need to do stuff now. I need to hurry up. Life is short. Everything became a lot more uh, laser focused. So, so I started saying yes to everything and from sort of underperforming, at the art college as well, I suddenly twigged on what I was supposed to do, how I get, got on to do things, and I just kept putting myself out there. So for the next two years at uni, I started putting myself out there. And one of the things that happened, which is I'm forever grateful for, is I got a job because I was babysitting, I was earning a bit of money, very picking, potato pay. Whatever I did, I took, because I had to help a little bit in the house because my other my siblings had gone down south by then, so it was just my mum and I, and she couldn't drive. and So I, I did all those things, and I got this opportunity to... Uh, work in a in a company in Dundee in the summer. It was a summer placement and they were doing art. They were doing digital art, Anna, which is, this is like late 80s, early 90s. So we're talking about pre-internet, you know, fax machines were the, the way forward. There's no, no such thing as an email. Um, and it was a summer placement in a company called NCR. NCR, And wow. I got in there and 
it was almost like this entrepreneurial crash course on how to just get on with things, put yourself out there, present, work up stuff, be recognised, be valued, um, and do business pitches. So I, I kind of that's really what it was. It was almost this test bed for entrepreneurs. And I ended up meeting, ironically, who you just mentioned, Chris, Chris and yeah. Paddy, who were both students in the same cohort as me, wow. doing summer work. So, and an example of that, they were so empowering. I mean, if we could actually put that in a box, what uh -huh. NCR did those summers in the early 90s, when they were, every ATM you went to in the whole world was made in Dundee. Amazing. Amazing people there. Um, if you could just box that and replicate it, we would be having so many more entrepreneurs. Uh, and I still can't work out what that magic sauce was, but it was just so empowering. And an example of that was, they said to me one day, Anna, we're taking you over to the US. We're going to, you just kind of come over with us and just experience the, you know, we're going to pitch to one of the big companies over there. I said, oh, well, I better say yes to that because that's my mantra now, to say yes to everything. So I got on the plane, first class. I mean, this was not sitting in the middle of the back seat of wow. the old rusty Ford Escort. It was bizarre and surreal at the same time. Landed in uh, Memphis, went straight to the Peabody Hotel. I'm like 18 at this point going, right. And I had the little mock-up printout designs that I'd created <laughs> on this, you know, old 286 PC um, as, a, as a thing to give to the creative director that was going to be presenting in the next day to this company. Um, and I kept looking around, there was a whole a bunch of men at this table just eating dinner and they were saying hello to me and it was all fine, but it was all kind of just feeling a bit surreal. And I kept saying, so, you know, where's the creative director? You know, when, when are they coming in so I can take them through this? Don't worry, you'll see them tomorrow. It's all fine, Anna. So next morning I, I go into them, we're into the reception of this office and uh, I said, there's still nobody here. There's just a whole group of men and me and where's this creative director? They went, oh, no, Anna, you're, you're going to be presenting. You, you just okay. go in and you do it. I went, what? And I think I did swear at that point. Anyway, I walked in the next thing, you know, I'm, I'm presenting to the CMO of FedEx. Wow. You know, the ideas about this, you know, 16-colour graphic with this little bit of paper trying to pitch. But, you know, it was sink or swim. But what it did was, it's just so empowering. And I got such a buzz out of that, that, I mean, I carried on my summer placements there for the next two years. And the moment I left uni, I'd kind of found myself with a niche bit of work doing stuff for NCR because nobody else was doing what I was doing. I kind of thought, right, I'm going to start my own business. So that's that's what I did and it, ironically Chris and I started on exactly the same day wow um, and you know I met people like Chris and other people like-minded people which is a big thing I think at that early stage to kind of get that um, and you've made a lot bug. more of it than he did obviously you're <laughs> a lot more successful <laughs> than Chris I, I, oh I wouldn't say that but uh, but you know to the um, listeners we're talking about Chris van der Kuyl here yes, yeah, Mr Dundee so, uh, <laughs> but yeah so um, and then what I did was I could have either gone on the dole which was the option, or they had something called the Enterprise Allowance. I was yes. on it as well. I, yeah. I it was, was on it as well. And you know, it was less than the unemployment benefit. Yes. But what it did was it enabled me, incentivised me by giving me expert advice from the, your local Fife Enterprise um, representative. And I, I got lucky. I got a wonderful guy who was actually like my dad. He was, you know, he reminded me of my father. Uh-huh. Um, and he nurtured me and just got me through the first few months. And the next thing I know, I've got this business, not making any money at all for the first uh, first few years, but um, or first few months anyway. And um, and that's the beginning of my entrepreneurial can, career. Can I just so. say this for, for, for maybe the younger listeners? Yeah. And this is a point, the point you make, Anna, about the enterprise allowance scheme. It was less than your unemployment, yeah. right? But yeah. people back then had a pride yeah. that they were never signing on the brew. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They weren't taking unemployment money. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right? People back then wouldn't tell you. If you met someone who'd lost their job, they'd say, well, I've got an interview on Monday. Yeah. Nobody would tell you that they weren't working. So, yeah. sorry, I just wanted to make that no, up no, for the, for the younger important. listeners. So, tell us a bit about your business. So, the business I started was actually, oh, call it UX now. It was a multimedia business when I started. So, doing digital screen work and design for brochures. In those okay. days, there wasn't that much digital screen work. Um, and I did different bits of work, including stuff for NCR. And, you know, that built up over the, year, over the years and big customers included banks, you know, because what was happening was there wasn't really a, a resource there at people at places like NCR or the banks to actually use what new technology was out there, which was more user-centric. So it wasn't a green and black screen that you still sometimes see on ATMs, for example. Um, and it was becoming a lot more interactive. And I was tapping into that because nobody else was doing it. So I just started doing work and, and providing services on behalf of NCR to some of the banks like Nationwide and and those those sorts of organisations, FIs really. So over the next few years, built the business as a pretty small consultancy, uh-huh. uh, uh, but did everything from, you know, doing the books to... <laughs> <laughs> to, so you, you know, learned by doing it. Yeah. Oh, right. well, so one of the big things, and it's a story uh, that I have told before about about an incident where I'd actually recruited Chris to help me with a client. I'd managed to persuade I could do this job. And I kind of went to Chris and said, look, could you help with some of the production work on the video? Because I've never done video production. So we ended up doing this crazy bit of work in Glasgow Airport for a new kiosk that was going to go into Heathrow. <laughs> and anyway, and we had it all set up. And we had this big interactive kiosk set up and there was it was going to be done on laser disc. You know, it was going to be a laser preparation. Disc. So to help people when you went to this machine, it would show you how to do it, but it was going to be in six languages. So we had six actresses in video explaining how My to goodness. go in and buy a grand piano or a Burberry scarf that was on available you could buy through this device. So you know that night we got it all set up and the two it was literally just the two of us and they're thinking there's a whole lot of other stuff going on behind us. And uh, we'd got all the actors and the production and the company that had you know, um, recruited me to do it, uh, had had come up to visit because we managed to cordon off part of Glasgow Airport to do this video shoot. Anyway, and of course got the machine up and running and um, basically that night, literally the very last click of the button, everything went black. The whole machine stopped working. So oh. ahead of the shoot, nothing was working. So Chris and I started looking at each other going, what are we going to do? So I don't know, as usual, as you do when you have to be entrepreneurial, yep. I thought, well... I've got an idea. So uh, over the next six hours during the night, I created a mock-ups on my my own computer and then plugged it into the screen on the device, right? So we were totally sorted and I got up in the morning, said, Chris, it's all sorted. I've come up with something. We just need to connect this. So we got down to the shoot, the whole day shoot. They were speaking in different languages, Chinese, Italian, so I wouldn't know what they were saying, so you'd be, have to be able to see. Anyway, we got there <laughs> and then got to the machine and realised that the cable attaching to the screen was this long. So one of us was going to have to climb inside <laughs> the computer, this, this basically glorified ATM. It didn't have a safe in it, fortunately. So, you know, Chris, he's six foot five or yes. something ridiculous like that. And as you mean, I know I'm five foot one. <laughs> so obviously the short straw was drawn and Chris did it. No, no, I joke. <laughs> it was actually me that did it. But I got inside that machine and had to sit and click through. <laughs> and then when the, the, the ticket that came out of the machine, when they bought and they were demonstrating how to buy the product, I had to slip a bit of paper through <laughs> the machine. So, um, but it's more than Yeah, but I think what I'm trying to say there is sorry, it's a slightly long winded way of explaining is that it's a bit like um, Nike, Phil Knight, Shoe Dog. I don't know if you've read that of fantastic book. Uh, of course, I have. Well, I love their slogan because you just forget the word can. 
and just say, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. You have to just do it. Um, and I love the can-do attitude, but it is the doing in capitals for me because a lot of people say they can do things. It's about doing it. And that was just, that's what you have to do in these situations. So that, that to me, was probably okay. a great life learning and it helped me through the rest of the, the growth of the business as it went on. Wow. So, and how long did you have the business? I was in the business, that's a good question. It might have been about 20-something years. I, I So I, I then decided to write product. We moved from a services business, write product, reinvested some of our own money. It wasn't huge. I mean, it was like £150,000 or something into developing a product. A few curveballs and ups and downs to get to that. And when we'd done that, um, we started to realise we needed a bit more investment if, because we couldn't keep waiting to make a profit to then invest into, into what we were doing. So we then looked for VCs and that fast forward two or three years, we then had a final product ready. And at that point, we then secured um, RBS as a big customer. Okay. Um, and at that point, we decided to list the business because one of the things I would say, we were still only like a 25-man team and procurement was incredibly painful to get through that. You know, they kept saying, are you going to be here next month? This is a no-go. Okay. So plus the ambition to go outside of the UK was quite high. So I wanted us to get into the US and, and Canada and other parts of Europe. So that was a great way, we felt, to, to do that. And AIM's purpose is to to nurture these early stage high growth yeah. companies. So uh, we listed on AIM in 2007. And um, within two months of that... <laughs> We had the massive market collapse oh, and all my yeah. customers disappeared in I front of my, my yes. very eyes. Uh, so uh, either banks just disappeared or they were subsumed or rescued. It was a really tough time. Um, That's a real education. Oh, yeah. it was. You just have to always be prepared for the unpre you know the unexpected. So yeah. I was on AIM for five years um, and it was basically batten down the hatches and just get through this in survival mode because uh, our main customer was, was the, the market that collapsed, essentially. But during that time, we started, we never, you know, issued a profits warning. We just, but we didn't grow at the pace I wanted us to grow. So any one of our customers in 2013, who's a NASDAQ-listed company, approached me. And there was a couple of other things, private life, you know, juggling as a mother. I'd had two children during this journey. Um, my mother wasn't really that well. Um, I, I decided, you know, I, I want something different. I, I know we're not going to grow at the rate we need to grow. So this was the right time I felt to say, let's, they'd approached us. I think this is a good opportunity. And I wanted to try something different, felt, well, actually, let's work with this big uh, organisation and get them to take us to the next stage. So they acquired us and I joined as an exec committee there. Um, and, you know, one of the other benefits, to be honest, personally, of being listed, because there's a lot of people saying, well, do you regret it? I was still the main shareholder, but as a listed company, one of the things you do benefit from is you have to be bought out at the same level. There's no earn outs, there's no, it's basically yeah. you get the same share uh, as everybody else does. So that allowed me to say I could have retired, but obviously they tied me in and I signed this this agreement to work three years. And I, I was quite excited because it was a different thing to do. Sure. So for the next three years, um, I was on a plane once a month for a week and working out of Houston and it was an eye-opening experience. But I would be honest with you, I like to embrace all the challenges and things that I decide to do. But within about a minute of taking on that that role, I thought, ooh, I think I, think I might struggle embracing this one. <laughs> uh, but I, I did my best, but I, I realised, and that was probably again where I started to notice a... Uh, I, as a woman in, in that environment, walking into an exec committee of 20 men, um, 
I just felt I, I wasn't going to be contributing as well as I thought I could. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it in any other way, but I just didn't feel I, I would be valued or contributing as okay. well as I could. So uh, being grown up about it, I thought it's better to, to, to get out of that. So I was there for the three years and then... At that point, I I decided that I thought I just need a bit of time off. I've not stopped. I've never taken a day off in my life. I mean, right. I was I was going into labour. I was on a conference call. <laughs> so um, I I decided that I I wanted to, and I'd lost my mother during this this spell. So I thought I'm just going to go for a walk. That's what I'm going to do. So I I took some time. I I, I stopped and I thought I just don't want to do anything. I just enjoy. I'm lucky to be able to not have to work and see what it is I want to do. So I, I, I decided to get my backpack and walked across the north of Spain with a what? friend <laughs> in this thing is called the Camino. And um, I thought I'd find there'd be an epiphany. I'd know what I'd want to do next. Uh, but I ended up really just thinking I should have bought a better pair of shoes. <laughs> should have bought a pair of shoes from you, Tom. You should have. Uh, and I ended up getting terrible blisters. And every day I was like, right, oh, I'm going to kill myself here. I'm going to get on with this. And um, But honestly, uh, it was probably the best thing I could ever have done. It was, it, you know, we all... We met so many people on the way, from you know entrepreneurs to people from different countries, and we we're all going for the same end goal, which was getting to this, you know, Santiago. Uh, and but we we're all taking different routes and going at different paces, but we all had the same ambition and goal to get there. So I met so many people, but and I came back, and I mean, all I knew is that I just wanted to do something because I think that's my biggest fear. As, as my entrepreneurial weakness is, I, I just can't stand not doing anything. I, I feel I need to do something all the time. I need to be busy. I need to be doing things. So so I kind of consciously made the decision that I didn't want to be working 24-7. And, you know, when you're working half across the Atlantic and half in the UK, you're really working 24 hours a day because they don't understand <laughs> yeah. uh, that 9pm my time is really their afternoon for a chat. Uh, so... I, I decided I wanted to selectively do things and, and maybe put something back in and, and, you know, still live an entrepreneurial life once removed okay. by investing in organisations or spending time in, in businesses that I felt I could add value in my unique perspective of being an arts degree graduate who had started a business in a spare bedroom, grown it, gone through VC, listed it, exited it worked in a Nasdaq company to, I think I'd like to invest in Scottish businesses as, as a proud Scot. So... That's what I did, and I've got a very eclectic mix of organisations. And, and one of the first things I got approached to do was was the Scottish FA. Would I like to be the first female board member of in its 144-year history? And it's I just couldn't say no to that, really. Right. So uh, so I, I've, I've done that. And, of course, back to my original passion of football, um, although I'm a bit torn, obviously, at the, for the end game, Willie, at the end of this month, because it's Spain v Scotland. Oh, right, OK. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Queen's Park against Dundee. <laughs> well, that's also... Oh, Willie, that's also on the, the cards. Uh, but um, so I've done a number of things. And of course, fast forward now through COVID, I've invested in a number of great organisations like Bella and Duke. And yep. I've now a partner, EOS, which is to me probably something I'm really proud of. And with, I, I'm, with Mark Bowman? Yeah, Mark Bowman and Andrew Friend Neil, of the show. I mean, really good. And Andrew Durkee, great team. Um, and like-minded people all trying to invest in great Scottish innovation. Um, and again, bringing my slightly different perspective, which I think has always has got some use. Uh, I, I really enjoy working with them and it's great to see some of the great organisations that are coming through that. I'm so excited about where that's going. So, um, you know, that's a passion for me. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, turning your paper-based processes into organised and digital workflows. Go.
There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk this is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. So our listeners would have probably noticed in the last few weeks, as I think it was the third week in a row, we've had a woman as, as our guest when mm. we had International Women's Day the other day. Yeah. So we're delighted here. And obviously because people within the government knew of your skills and your profile at the SFA, that you were asked nicely if you would put the report together on the pathway mm. and what that means for women in business. So we're delighted that you're going to share. We won't go through the whole report because I've got my tea off six. <laughs> right. But it's, it's, it's going to but, get. No, but we're, we're, we've obviously been involved in, in entrepreneurship for many, many years and try to help. Give the, the, the listeners a, a short, brief you know, idea of what you think where women stand today in relation to startups and entrepreneurship? Mm. I mean, I think that the stats tell you what they are, which is that the reality is it's pretty sobering, really. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I mean, we want to see more than one. In, I mean, half the population of Scotland, over half, is are women. Yep. And only one in five businesses currently are female-led, and that hasn't really changed no. for I want to say 20 years. Okay. So, you know, and I'm coming from a perspective whereas I'm, I'm an entrepreneur that's, you know, managed to navigate my way through some of the, the barriers, perhaps, as we'd call them. But, um, I mean, that stat is damning, the damning stat of 2% of, you know, £9 billion in the last five years, institutional investment across Scotland. 2% of that, that's like 160, 170 million has gone to female businesses. Now, I mean, that's quite sobering. Isn't that's it? terrible, isn't yeah. it? I, and I, I, you know, when I looked at those, I couldn't, I was trying to, under, and look, there are, there are, you know, mitigating circumstances. I mean, there's very few women getting into the institutional investment space, investment space. So, you know, you're already going to have a skew if you've only got one in five starting uh, businesses and then that scale up. But then when you do a like for like, men are getting, you know, the women are getting into that space. Their companies are getting four times less per round. That, that's a like for like alarm sign to me. So these are the stats that I came that I, were, I was able to access. I would have to say one of the big challenges at the start of the report was where's the, the data? I'll just get some data from government. I'll get all the stuff I'll be able to collate. And, you know, that's, you know, data is important if you're doing any sort of business to know what to do next. And I, I was amazed by the fact there was no data really available. So I had to kind of set up a mini project in order to capture that data. And I did that with an organisation who's actually a founder's a Scotsman as well called MNAI. Um, and they gave me all this access to this data, which is still not nearly granular enough in the sense that they're doing a brilliant job, but we didn't have time to really go down into the you know, data by ethnicity as much as we would have liked. But what we got okay. was top level stats. So I suppose that kind of is a bit sobering and you take a step back and go, well, well, what's the problem? And then you start to look at all these streams, which I, I did with the help of three fantastic uh, women uh, who worked on the education stream, the access to finance stream, because there was so much to do. And then Mark Logan, who was not the chief entrepreneur at that point, he and I had to had a chat and 
uh, he then agreed to co-author the report with me. Great. Um, but it was also important to me to have a, a man involved in this process because I am a firm believer this is a collaborative endeavour. It requires, it's not a woman's problem. It's a societal problem that we're having issues here. And so it's not something that only women need to worry about and look at. This is actually how do we fix the system to make it better for everyone? And that's what you guys are living and breathing every day. Yeah. But somebody like me coming in just a year ago to look at it more closely, from my perspective, it 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 feels like a huge opportunity. If you're looking at it as a business, it's a huge, huge opportunity, opportunity so, that's so been untapped. Let me ask you, because Willie and I have been involved with government reports in the mm -hmm. past and we get really annoyed when we do the work and it sits on a shelf and gathers dust. Oh dear, yes. Um, so, what, what's the three main things you would like to see yeah. the next First Minister take on and put in place? It Within entrepreneurship? Mm -hmm. I don't, education. Entrepreneurial education at childhood. My my, I think so much of our entrepreneurship mindset is built from childhood. You're you're Absolutely. set, and I don't believe in Scotland our education system is delivering an entrepreneurial mindset. And I'm not saying that's easy to solve, but I continue to worry about the sort of culture of attainment over achievement. Um, particularly somebody that didn't excel in my school grades. I, I wouldn't want to be measured on, as my daughter used to tell me when I was trying to say, work harder, Sally. You know, she would say, I don't want to be measured by a letter, Mum. Uh, and I, I think, you know, I think there's so much focus on getting grades. I think uh -huh. you've got to talk about experiential learning, uh, about absolutely. all these extracurricular, uh, not just sport, but I got so much out of out of those things, learning how to be resilient, um, how to, you know, in, interact with other people, people I didn't know, and and just getting yourself out there and learning uh, through sort of much more cultural experience what's out there. And I, I just don't think education is set up that way in Scotland. So I think education needs a really, and it's the opportunity, there's a lot of things going on. And I know, you know, it's a bit like, for me, I've jumping and I'm driving a wee speedboat and you have to jump on this sort of giant oil tanker and suddenly you've got to try and turn that around. So I know there's huge challenges there. Well, but I mean, I, I, I've, I've heard that often. Mm -hmm. I would agree with you if we were trying to change the Chinese education system. Scotland is a speedboat and we can all get round the table and we can all decide what we want to do and then we've got to get on with it. That's the beauty of Scotland, Dana. Ag agreed. Mm -hmm. I am a proud Scot and I 100% believe that mm -hmm. as well because I, that's why I've done the report because I think Scotland is a slightly unique. It, and, and, you know, I have looked at other countries and that was part of the, the work to do was what's going on. And there's the same challenges, especially around female representation. But there's so much going for Scotland and, yeah. and it is a small nation, so it yeah. should be agile. Um, so I suppose that... that that's one of the key strands, though, because yeah. if you build off that, then you'll you will you will succeed. So, so I think that's a big. Anna, big can I say when we had this conversation, and I was kind of uh, taken aback when I heard the numbers, you know, like one in five, because in my experience, and, and I'm delighted to hear you saying at the end there about the data's not good. In my experience, through the entrepreneurial spark and that. Yep. I mean, the intake of women was fantastic. Mm -hmm. It was, I mean, it was yeah. 50 50. And I think the last uh, t intake in Glasgow was actually there was 52% women. So I hope that, that 
most of them succeeded and I hope they were heading towards two and five or two and a half and five mm -hmm. or three and five, whatever. Um, a, a lot of women that I've met, so I, I certainly hope that they're keeping better data, but I hope that all the women that have been through, you know, whether it's Scale Up or Entrepreneurial Scotland or East Park or whatever it's, it's called now, eHub, mm -hmm. um, I would like I to think the women were getting encouraged more and more. I mean, I'd like to think that. I think we yeah. just need to be a bit of a reality check on on yeah. how well that's being done and sort of trying to work within the the, the current structure because yeah. the structure doesn't really support women. It's it. I'm just going to say it, it's pretty much rigged against women that are our parents. Yeah. What can we do then to fix that? So well, what I proposed is these other important things is create access points that are not existing right now. So things like this pop up pre start model, which is agile. And by the way, this is inclusive. So this isn't just for women right. but that program is about getting access to people that are not currently accessing the system because of the multiple burdens that are on them and you know if if just to be clear if a man was actually a primary carer then he would also be welcome in this space sure. right so there's so many people in scotland that are not accessing just now because it's not visible to them so that program is to me a great Pre-scaler, pre is the pre-nascent, pre-startup people that don't even know what entrepreneurship is. So, so, so Anna, you you were, I've asked you about the three things: so education, yeah, access, yeah. What would be the third thing you would get the next first minister, man or woman, yeah. <laughs> to say? You've did great work here. Please implement mm -hmm. what I've told you. Yeah, I think the the bigger thing is is the overall proposition of this report is it's a, a folio of interventions to try and change the way we think. It's not about pop-up pre-starts on its own. It's not about this concept fund that allows, you know, £1,000 to be just that starter point for people getting into the system and all the support services and, and hooking into stuff. I mean, the golden thread of getting people through, navigating through entrepreneurship um, it's a critical part of success. You, you've seen it yourself. You've talked about trying to connect these dots. Yep. And did, did you look at other countries to see who's doing this better, Anna? There, there are other countries that are excelling. Well, not excelling, it's not there. They are doing better. They're, all countries have a big challenge here. If you look at the MasterCard Index, right. which goes through all the countries, but there are ones that are doing better and they are doing active initiatives in different ways. Some are struggling still with... Uh, you know, we've got a much higher intake in the US, much more successful number of startup women businesses. But in terms of investment, we still have challenges right. that, similar to we have here. So the idea here is, this isn't rocket science. What, what I've identified as women not feeling like they really belong in entrepreneurship, uh, the logistical constraints of being expected to carry that primary care burden, etc. Um, that is not new. What we've tried to do, and with Mark and, and, and the input he's given as well, is well, we, we need to look at it differently. Like you would a business, you know, uh, you know, amazingly how many businesses start up and create something that is different. But actually when you think about it, all of everybody else goes, but that's so obvious, I should have thought of that. <laughs> so all we're doing here is trying to think of it differently. And it is about right root cause, the causality of some of these issues are not, for example, women funds, right? Let's, women are not getting enough money. So the immediate thing to do reaction to that is let's create a fund for women then because then that means they're protected. But I don't, that's not going to work if you don't intervene with all the other steps right back to education. I to see. So it, it is all interlinked. You can't, and if you do that, you get 
tiny incremental change and then it doesn't work because there's not enough women. You won't get enough women coming into that fund just now because there's not enough women coming through. So you need a much more holistic view of a number of different uh, inter initiatives that make a difference at a root cause level. And do, do you think there's a, a chance, and we've already said that, you know, that we wasted, we forgot how many years doing reports for the government. Do you think there's a chance, <laughs> especially now there's a change at the start, head of the government that they'll implement, uh, which seems like a really good, worthwhile piece of work? Mm -hmm. Do you think there's any chance of any of it getting implemented? Well, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think there was. It wasn't a chance. And yeah. I know you've done a few now, so you're probably more seasoned than me. But I, I, I think there is a chance, and it depends who comes in, obviously. But I would be positive and confident that something will happen. So, and I, I think it's a really thoughtful piece of work, and I really hope whoever our next first minister is takes it on board, but actually implements it. And the entrepreneurial community would get behind helping that implementation. Yeah. Yeah. So here's hoping, Willie. Yeah, well, hopefully, Anna, the next time you're on, we'll be sitting here saying, because of your hard work, because of your proposal, there's now three in five rather than one in yeah. five women in business. But certainly, I'd like to think that some of the things that I've seen over the past year or so, that hopefully that 52% of the women through East Park was the last intake that hopefully will start to make a difference in that, you know, that 20%. Thank you for coming on the show, Anna. Thanks, Anna. Been a pleasure. Thank you. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. Go there are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk.